Okay, guys, welcome back. It's been a while. Um, I'm going to walk us through a little bit of context on the new process of our show, uh, and then we're going to talk about a topic. But um, if you've noticed, there's been a pretty big gap in episodes, probably, I don't know, a year and a half, um, just because life got busy and that's the way it is. But uh, we also had trouble trying to find people to interview, and it was just every three schedules trying to get them lined up and it's not our full-time job. So I think it's best if at a minimum, Sebast, you and I just have a conversation and catch up and record it. Cause I think that would be interesting, uh, for others, but also in 10, 15 years, my kids or I want to pull one up and listen to it. I think that'd be interesting. Uh, cause I'm definitely getting dumber and I'd like to record as soon as possible so that I don't get any dumber. Um, and I can at least think, Hey, I was pretty, pretty decent there's no uh, doubt in my mind that i'm getting dumber and, and i agree with you i think um let's just do this for for ourselves to look back on and if anybody else wants to listen along the way hey more than welcome to yeah and i think even from like a intelligent standpoint like yes i definitely know less of the academics that i learned in school but also i just feel like less intelligently capable like me picking up like a new startup, I feel like I have a lot less chance of succeeding versus my, I was just less creative, like a 21 year old. But the wisdom side, I think, of just knowing the market a little bit better. Um, but still, you just miss the old me that was a little, little sharper. I hear you. I think the good news is I don't think we need to be geniuses to, um, to, do well for ourselves and make some money and actually you know as you know I started business brokering buying and selling small businesses recently and um, the the business owners that I encounter are there are some that are tremendously successful they they may not even have finished college Um, they're by no stretch any kind of valedictorian Um, they're just very street smart so I think there's hope for us I don't think we need to hang on to our educational knowledge that that we learned in in school, expensive school at that, um, I think there's still a lot of opportunity out there that I think we can dive into. Yep. And it, you just, you talking about it brings up, like we just have these conversations, whether text or phone. And after like 20 minutes of really good info, I think, man, we should have recorded that and just posted it. So that's another reason for the episode. Um, and you're bringing up all these topics that I want to talk about. So the new process is we're going to pick uh, some topics that one we find really interesting and have thoughts on that might look us might make us feel good about spreading them and sharing them with you guys. Um, but um, it just got some topics that one we're passionate about and two might be interesting. So uh, just to name a few, I hope we get to talk about more. But blue collar businesses, um, startup versus buying a business, peer to peer lending, which is what we're going to talk about today. So. Um, and I think this is a good one because we actually have some real hands-on experience, you from a lending side, uh, me from a borrower side, uh, and not just on our own loans, but with others and other banks and lenders and, uh, recipients. So, um, Seabass, why don't you give us a overview and some context about your background in peer-to-peer lending? So let me ask you this to set the stage. If, if I were to ask you, give me a 10% return on my money with as little work as possible in the stock market or, or anything else, what would you do? Mostly stock market. What, where would you invest the money? Um, if I had 
if I had money, so this is already a non-empathetic question. Yeah. Um, I mean, lending is good. It's, it's a higher on the balance sheet, so you get paid first in case something happens. You've got assets backing it up, and it is generally low risk if you you can you can judge risk based on your own analysis and gut. You're not necessarily like tossing it out to other brokers and stuff that you don't know. So I think there is a chance to lower the risk and get a higher return. I think, I think there's a gap. There's a opportunity there. So I think you answered my question in the way I was going to answer my question. Um, I was trying to set Sorry, you was up. that a rhetorical question? I, I was trying to set you up for you to say buy Tesla calls or something like that. Um, okay. But re- really, <laughs> really, there's no. It's it's difficult <laughs> to earn ten percent in the stock market predictably. Um, there's even even buying real estate, you might be able to to get those kinds of returns. Um, we I feel like the market has gotten a little squeezed with with so many uh, buyers on the market, cash offers and everything. I mean, that's just where we are today. So, I think. The alternative I want to offer to that is is actually private lending um, in the real estate space specifically, at least for me. Uh, we can do private lending for small businesses, for just kind of short-term loans. Um, I, I, my experience is in real estate, and you know, I'd, I'd love to touch on that a little bit. All right, I got another question. Other than real estate, do you know of any um, – did you have any associates or anybody you knew that in your network that did – private lending outside of real estate? So uh, small businesses, uh, I guess there's no one I personally know other than kind of like angel investor type people. And it's it's not, uh, it's longer term, I guess. It's kind of more longer term borrowing. But um, but you and I actually just lent ourselves some money. Um, mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> you and I lent your, one of your companies some money. And um, it worked very well just because it's a, uh, um, an asset-backed loan, so it's a secured loan, and um, and and the loan was being repaid from cash flow from the business. So if there's a good underlying business, it's for you know for our purposes, it's a fairly safe loan. Uh, you do, yep. you, and you knew the guy, and you knew where he lived. I, I so. knew everything about you. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, all right, so here's some kind of lightning round questions that I think get a lot of information quickly. What? How many of these peer-to-peer loans have you done? I've actually kind of lost count. I want to say probably 20 over the years. That's uh, just a okay. guess. Um, how many? What? What's the average term? Average term is six months. And range, so like as little as and as long as? I've probably gotten repaid uh for a loan within inside of three months and it's been as long as two years okay maybe uh let's let's ask the obvious question has anyone not paid you no but i was really scared about one um normally all these loans are secured so what that means is that i i have a lien on the property that the investor is is working on um which is the reason the investor requested the loan so that they can fix up the property, uh, they can put it on the market. That way they don't have to go to a conventional bank. It's a short-term loan. But there was one loan that I did that was unsecured, uh, which basically the only thing that was securing it was a, a, a pay, piece of paper that said, I promise you to pay you back. And that's called the promissory note. And that's the only thing I had. I was just feeling a little wild, and then I was just 
I was staying up by all staying up at night. This person was doing like a fix and flip on this house, and I just gave him a bunch of money without without any kind of you know collateral. So that's the only time that I've done an unsecured loan. Uh, they still paid me back though, and I never did it again. Okay, uh, was the rate better on that promissory note? It was, yeah. So just like anything, you know, that you're going to get a higher interest rate with with higher risk. And whenever there's no underlying asset that you can take control of in the case that the loan defaults, then, you know, you have to be compensated for that. So on unsecured loans, I I believe that one that I did was 12 or 15 percent. And I had like a a 1 percent origination fee on it. So, I mean, you can get you can get good money from unsecured loans, but I feel like it's only a matter of time before you get bit. Yeah. So the 1% origination fee, is that just because your competitors were charging an origination fee and it was another way for you to make extra on your like initial investment? Or uh, did you were there costs involved with that? Like, does it really go to pay an attorney? And if so, how much does that cost? So I, I honestly, like the title companies um, that the real estate investor works with, they draft up those documents and and the real estate investor covers that cost. There's not a lot of cost on my end. The only time that there is cost is if I lend from my uh, self-directed IRA accounts, th- then there is a cost to originate like a new a new loan and there's a servicing fee. It's, it's not tremendous. It's at most a couple hundred bucks. Um, but yeah, I was just charging the origina- origination fee because everyone else was doing it. So, you know, why not? And yeah. real estate investors are used to paying it. Yeah. And uh, just a little extra money on top. The VIG, little VIG, yeah. little cheese on top. Um, okay. What about average or an average and range of rates of return on the secured loans? So, so I would say for the six month term, I was doing 10% annualized. Um, so 10% rate of return for a six month term, 10% annual for a six month term. Um, and, and then I, I feel like the, um, the, the longer, the longer the term is, I believe you, you need to be charging a higher interest rate. Is that how it works in the finance world? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, it just kind of depends on what it is and, um, there's reasons for ups and downs on it. So if you go further out, it's more guaranteed, but at the same time, it's, um, you know, you're, comp- especially if you're a bank, you've got other loans that you're getting money and then making off of it. So I had to explain it. That's why a lot of, they do five or seven loans on a lot of smaller commercial loans. And then that way, if rates go up in five to seven years, they can readjust. Yeah. I think they take a little bit more risk, but just in the, in terms of volatile interest rates, but, um, I don't know if you're talking about like a cash flow model. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. I haven't either. Um, and and I think like if if your loan is longer term, I feel like. Well, I mean, we we did a longer term for one of your businesses, and it was I think like a nine percent. Um, yeah. And, and I justified it as well. I'm gonna be because it's longer term. I'm gonna be collecting more payments. I don't need to be always shopping for a loan. So I'm happier with a 9% interest instead of 10 
because if it's a 10, I'm assuming it's a shorter term. And after it ends, after, you know, five, five, six months, I have to go find another one. And that's just a headache. So I'm basically compensating. I'm, I'm trading off a percent more of interest for just kind of the convenience of a longer term loan. But I don't know if that's how finance looks at it. Again, I got yep. dumber. Yeah, we did. Didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think if you got a good interest rate, there's uh, it makes good sense to try to extend that out further into the future um, because you do guarantee a higher like more volume underneath your curve. Yeah. And so I think I think if you if that's the case, then, yeah. But if you got real tight margins like banks on I don't know how tight they are, they're borrowing from other banks. But um, I can see how you wouldn't want to get that. You wouldn't want to be on a losing deal for you wouldn't want to extend that. Yeah. If rates yeah. were to change. Um, okay. And see what other questions. Um, so uh, I think an FAQ question would be, well, how do I find investors to lend on? And I think this part's obviously critically important because if you find someone that doesn't know what they're doing, they're going to default on your loan and then you have to foreclose on them. And I've never had to do that, but I don't really want to do that ever. So, okay. So where do you get your... So what I did is I I stuck with real estate when I first got started because that's what I kind of knew and I interviewed I went into you know every real estate investment uh company that people start up you know for flippers and for uh buy and holds wholesale lists that's really the key you know you find as many wholesale lists as possible and and you find and you learn who the people are behind those wholesale lists and and I think after after getting enough emails from wholesalers, you realize, okay, who are the real players? Who are the people that are doing multiple deals per per month? Um, they're doing big deals. They're well-known in the real estate community. And I think once you identify those people, then you go to the individuals and say, hey, I've got some some money that I'm, I'm looking to deploy. Do you need any kind of funding? And, you know, a lot of real estate investors are going to be like, yes, I'm interested. It's it's money. It's other people's money. That's That's what's big in real estate, right? Yeah. Um, what's the the term for a short-term loan in real estate? What's this I'm thinking about? A bridge loan? Gap loan? No. No. Uh, mm, I'm going to look it up. Um, but hard in the meantime, money loan. Hard money loan. That's it. Yeah. I got a hard money loan once. It was expensive. So it was do it or be the – is that well, – well, how about that? What, have you thought about that? And is yours any different? So I would say I am more competitive than a hard – money lender. And I don't know why a investor would go with hard money, maybe because they're they're big and they have a lot of funds, I guess. I don't know. They have more process versus just a private individual. Maybe some people are uncomfortable with that. But really, my goal was to be uh, have a higher interest rate than banks and lower interest rate than than hard money loans or lower total cost of capital, I guess, than hard money loans. So if I remember correctly, hard money lenders were getting like, I mean, this sounds crazy, 12 to 13% yeah, 15%, on like, yeah. like weeks, weeks of a loan. Oh, yeah. Am I off on this? Like two no. months? I think the, the hard money loan that I used, this was when I flipped the house, which I'll never do again. Um, story for another time. But uh, it was like a 2% origination fee up front, and then it was like, 
13, 14, maybe 15%, maybe not quite that high, but, and it was a short term. It was, it was like a three, it was like a three month term. And then I extended it another, whatever, one, two or three months. But yeah, that's, imagine being the lender on that. And, and they have a lien on, on the property as well. So if you, you know, if, if you default on your loan and you say, oh, I, I can't, finish this flip, then, you know, the, the bank takes control of the house. They don't want to do that because they're a bank. They're not, uh, an investor. Um, but I mean, that's a nice piece of collateral. Yeah. So just to be clear, um, could you be a hard money lender? I guess, I guess I could be, uh, I, I don't really know how you define a hard money lender. Like, do they have to have a, an office yeah, and a some staff? kind of license or something? I don't know. Who knows? I, well, what really about, know. uh, have you considered it? And if yes, why did you choose to decline? To decline what? Or like if, when you started doing peer-to-peer lending for real estate, did you consider being a hard money lender? And if you, ha- like, why aren't you getting, if they're getting better rates on a shorter period of time, what made you say, no, that's not for me? I mean, in in a sense, I was a, a hard money lender because uh, it, it operates under the same model of just like a short term loan, sometimes an origination origination fee. I think the uh, the hard money. I I really don't know the difference. I mean, what what does a hard money lender do that that I can't do privately? I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, it, maybe they just have unlimited deep pockets. I don't know. Okay, so were most of you the the people wanting money from you for flipping? I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, I don't really. I mean, whenever it like even ten percent, that's kind of a high interest loan in today's interest rates. So if they're gonna do like a buy and hold, they they don't want to be paying ten percent for an indefinite amount of time. So I think what they use with with my money was it was money for them to fix the house, um, and then maybe have a couple month seasoning period. So it's basically what the bank wants for. uh, the amount of time a bank wants before they can refinance into a conventional loan. So I think the investors were using my funds to flip it, season it, and then they would kind of turn that into a longer term loan, which they can get in like the single digits from a bank. Gotcha. Um, so give me, walk me through an example. You give someone an average person, like you would say with good credit, right? Yep. Yep. Good credit. Walk me through an example of what you would expect. How many? How long the average um, amount, principal, and your in your return over like a six month average? I would say on average, uh, probably around a hundred thousand, just shy of a hundred thousand. Um, I probably did a lot between like sixty and eighty. Um, and again, I mean, this is the amount that investors need to to flip a house, not necessarily buy one. Um, so they may they might come in with their own capital, or or maybe there's you know more than one lender involved. But I would uh, we would we would sign for a six month term on on uh, you know on my funds and origination rate origination rate annual interest rate, and and sometimes it would finish the flip before six months and sometimes they would um they would take all six months but actually now that i'm remembering um there's a 
there's always it's always good to have a clause in the in a private loan saying that I want three months of interest, like or or whatever you want. I want three months of interest minimum guaranteed. So even if they're in yeah. and out of a house in a month, I still get three months. Uh, okay. I, I think it's fair. I think the reason for that is that I going out and getting a new loan takes time. My money's not working for me whenever I'm doing that. It's always like a, a, a new risk that I'm taking on. So like, I don't want to have to find another lender and another project, you know, within a month. Like even if I do, I want to get paid for three months at least. So that, that that's something that's also yeah. important in the contracts. Okay. All right. So say it was a hundred thousand dollars. You loan it out on January 1st and then, um, during month two, three, you know, you're just getting interest payments, right? Yep. Yep. And then, so let's say it was a 12% annual. So it's 1% per month to make the math easy. Mm-hmm. So you would get $1,000, 1% of a hundred thousand on January, February, March, all the way up until when they pay it. Correct. So then if they pay it at the end of the six months, you're getting, your one percent origination fee, and then basically six thousand dollars. Yep. So you're getting seven thousand on your hundred thousand on in, six months. In six months, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and if you were to do that again, you could possibly get fourteen. That's if you turn it right back around. But I mean, that's not to say like that's optimal. Optimal would be you're just turning this thing over and over, getting three months in one every month. You see what I'm saying? That's three a- months interest. That, that's the key. So, I mean, turnover is good, but it's just going to keep you more busy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. With, with more turnover, I get to collect more um, origination fees and minimums, three-month minimums, as long as the loan, you know, assuming the loan doesn't last that long or, or the repayment doesn't last that long. But I do have to continue to find new loans. So depends how active you want to be. I guess that's what the, that's why the hard money lenders have a, very viable business just because they turn so many just constantly and as as a private investor i just kind of i just want to have my money work for me and not necessarily have to be searching for a new loan every month okay no, that's good um well i mean i will tell you my experience from a borrower um uh, i would say i've had private with cbass and i've had um, cabbage, which is a unsecured, I don't think it's peer to peer. I think it's just a small, I think they're a bank. They'd probably be classified as a bank. Um, they're actually based here in Atlanta, but they're national and, uh, you can get a credit card, which is basically a, uh, unsecured working capital loan. You just draw from it as you need. Um, they also offer full working capital loans. Um, even though I used mine to buy an, an asset, they still made me go unsecured, um, mostly because no bank will touch you if you're less than two years running for a business. I say no bank. It's very unlikely. Yeah. Um, and that was one reason we got the loan from CBAS is because we just – banks really didn't like us, not because we were bad, but just because they didn't know us. Um, I would venture to say – even if I had a relationship with a bank, like a medium relationship, not like a deep relationship, but a medium one where they knew my name, but you know, formal business accounts. And, uh, I would still venture to say if I opened a new LLC 
and with the exact same bank, I still think they would not give me anything reasonable for a new LLC under two years. I agree. I agree. And the reason I gave you guys a loan, so I loaned Henry's machine shop business, um, CNC shop. And the rebar shop. And the rebar shop. And and it was a no-brainer for me. Well, first of all, I knew Henry. Um, From a, like, financial perspective the the collateral was the equipment and you know if you totaled if you totaled up the value of the cnc machine the ben the the bender uh there's probably going to be a lot of names i'm not even going to try to not make a fool of myself uh if you total the value of all those it, it was worth more than the loan that i was making so you know even if henry decided to go rogue and and disappear and and go live in turks and caicos then I would just gain control of all the all the machinery and and I could sell it and get my money back, you know. On yeah, on that like would not be market. a bad scenario for you. Which yeah, that would have worked out for you, and it kind of would have worked out for me. At least I wouldn't have lost my shirt over it. But yeah, yeah. Um, but cabbage was one of the few that like gave me a reasonable amount. I think it was like seventeen thousand like opportunity, so like I could pull from it if I needed it, uh, and it was about about seventeen percent. Um, So it was high, 17%, 17%, but it was unsecured. Like it was literally, here's a, here's a credit card. Even credit card companies start you off at like five or 10. Yeah. Um, so 17 for under two years, that's pretty good. Um, let's see what other tidbits. Um, so I I looked at, I looked at, mm -hmm. I looked at a bunch. Um, I looked at lending club, um, I looked at one other. I can't remember. Got Prosper? pretty deep with them. Oh yeah, I did prosper, but that is as an investor. I'll tell you about that. Oh yeah. Um, but as a borrower under two years of business, there just wasn't many options. Right. And I'm not saying like people should just throw money at me, but I'm at least like got a good credit score and a trustworthy person. Like I'm surprised that I had that much trouble right. to buy assets. Um, so what does that like? It was I was on the wrong end of that deal. Um, when we were at that age in our company, uh, but you know, in 10 years, Seabass and we got more money than we can count. Like this is an opportunity like to go out and make good return on your money by finding small businesses that have great candidates and no other bank will touch them. That is without a doubt. I would call it like blue collar lending, something like that. Yeah. Like, huge would, market. Uh, huge, it would huge kill. market. And there's so many small businesses that have a good person running them. You know, they did their diligence, and and we would probably find this out over you know an interview or two or three. Um, and then you know you you look at the individual, you look at their business plan, and if you're on board with it, then um, you know that that's a good start. And then you obviously look at their collateral, you look at their equipment, um, and there's just you know if you do your diligence up front from a individual perspective like you and i doing diligence on a on a single company it just it's so much different than a bank i mean banks require so much and and like yeah. you said they, they just have touch a kind lot of these. ridiculous ratios they don't even make sense i mean i mean i know it's all there to protect them but they're basically handcuffed like they're just trying to lend money out with their hands tied like this is all we can do yeah. so it's not really their fault but um Anyways, different story for that too. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about Prosper if we got a minute. Yeah. Um, 
Do you know who introduced me to Prosper? Me. You did. Yes, you did. And I mean, it was before peer-to-peer lending. Like, you had to be like a really early entry. Yeah, you were first on the scene in peer-to-peer lending, I think. And this was 2008, right around there. 2008. That was a long time ago. And you introduced me to it, and I think I threw like a thousand bucks in it, and uh, I did incredible for like two, three years. This was when it was really early, and um, I was just super risky. We were just playing, but if you remember, they classify people as like um, credit risk A, B, C, D, and then I think there's a E, and then even an HR, which I don't even know what that means. High but risk. Apparently high risk. It's really bad, and they pay a lot. Um, How much do you remember? 15 18%? Uh, no, Above I think it 20? was more. Yeah, I think so. Oof. And uh, I, I'm going to say a number that, I, that I'm that i telling you I did, and I can find it in my email, and nobody will believe it. I did 26% return, <laughs> and which, I mean, it's not unrealable, unrealistic if, you know, for stocks and stuff like, but in this peer-to-peer lending, like it was just, and, and it wasn't that much money, so it's possible to turn over kind of like you did just have turnover after turnover. Yeah. Um, but it was a good experience. It was fun. And, um, I've never looked at prosper, um, because they do mostly like credit, like, uh, personal reasons for loans. Like I want to pay my credit card off or buy a electric scooter or something. So, There's some, so those were the high risk loans. I think when you got to the the low risk loans, obviously with low interest rate, you'd be looking at people that are like, I uh, I'm building a deck or something like that, and they have a great credit score, great jobs, and so forth. I mean, it, it, Prosper is really pe- people or ordinary people being acting as the bank, and then there was like student loans. Maybe they wanted to. Um, they had a, you know, they went to a good school, had a good job, and and they wanted to, uh, I don't know, maybe pay off some of their student loans because they could get a lower interest rate on on Prosper. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know where interest rates were for student loans in 2008, but um, a, lot, a lot of different reasons with a lot of different risk profiles. Prosper does look at people's credit scores, their their uh, credit history, if they've repaid their debts in the past, and I think that's how they they classify everyone. Yeah. Um, I did check here. Um, in 2010, I put in, and after three years, got a 60% return. Whoa. Yeah. I remember so, when I was doing it, I'm like, I want a balanced portfolio. I'll do like a couple, you know, a couple medium, a couple safe loans, and then, you know, one or two high risk. And then when I when you got into it, you know, after I was doing it for, for a couple months, you're like, I put everything into high risk. <laughs> yeah. Things got wild for sure. <laughs> there was no, there was no doubt in your mind that you were going to go guns blazing. I mean, yeah. That was, was that, that conviction was, in your voice. It was, it was, uh, that was right off of the Netflix, um, scandal. And, oh, yeah. uh, I just, I had to put it all out there. We'll talk about the next Netflix scandal another time. Yeah, another day. Oh, maybe we should All do right. an episode on largest regrets. That could be fun or terrible. Yep. And uh, maybe biggest win, like biggest breaks, you know, windfall, like 
unexpected. Well, I don't have any of those. You kind of balance out regrets. Well, we talk about yours. Okay. <laughs> you just hadn't got there yet. <laughs> all right. Well, well I think that's, that's all I got. That's all we got for today on peer-to-peer lending and some other banter. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll catch you on the next one. All right. Catch you later.